name is Nick Swan. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. Welcome to all of you who are online with us this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be wrapping up our series on the book of 1 Peter. And our series has been entitled Elect Exiles. And the title of this morning's message is Stand Firm. Stand Firm. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would allow your word to dwell in us richly this morning. And that by your spirit, your word would transform us. As we conclude this series on 1 Peter, may the truth of who we are, that we are your chosen people, and the truth of where we are, that we are living as your chosen people, as elect exiles in the world, may these truths make their way deep into our hearts, and may it transform how we view you, how we view ourselves, and how we view our world. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Here I stand... I can do no other, so help me God. Amen. These famous words were uttered by Martin Luther in 1521. It's about three to four years into what would become the Protestant Reformation. And at this time he was on trial as a heretic. He was being questioned for what he believed. And what hung in the balance was his excommunication from the church, his persecution at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church, and ultimately, more than likely, his own death. Martin Luther's stand is a quintessential snapshot from church history of what it means to stand firm in our faith. This moment was the culmination of several years of prayerful study and preparation. And the words which immediately preceded this famous quote make clear all the work that went into them. It says, Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason... For I do not accept the authority of popes and councils because they've contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. You see, long before this critical moment, this life and death moment in Martin Luther's life... He had been prepared by God and he had been preparing himself for this moment. Fueled by his conviction that scripture is the word of God, he began to question the teachings of the church and the traditions that were going on at the time in the world. Steeped in God's word, he was prepared to live and to die by it. So when the moment came, empowered by the spirit, when he had to take a stand for the faith, he was able to do so come what may. This morning, Peter exhorts us, he calls us to stand firm in our faith, to hold fast to the true grace of God. And if we are to do so, we must be prepared to do so. We must be steeped in the word of God so that when we are tested by the opposition of the world, which we will be tested by the opposition of the world, we must be so steeped in God's word that in that moment we are able to stand firmly upon the promises and the truths that are encapsulated there. Because we are elect exiles in the world, there will be moments of testing. But if we prepare ourselves for those inevitable moments, empowered by God's Spirit, we will be able to stand alongside Martin Luther and say, here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. Amen. Our first point this morning is this, a secure 
foundation, a secure foundation. Look with me again at verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If we're going to stand firm, we must have something under our feet which is secure. We need a foundation upon which to stand. And this firm foundation is God and his word. So rooting ourselves on the firm foundation of God, it requires us to do three things. Three things which are not easy for us to do. The first one is this, is we must humble ourselves. If we're going to plant ourselves on the firm foundation of God and his word, we must first recognize that oftentimes we live life built upon foundations that are not God and his word. As hard it is, as it is to acknowledge, so often we build our lives upon the foundation of ourselves and of other security that we find within the world. Often we will live our lives as though we are at the center. We trust ourselves. We trust our prosperity. We trust our intellects. We trust our work ethic that we can make this happen, that everything we need we can find within ourselves. Turning from trusting in ourselves to humble ourselves before God is hard for us. I'm in a room full of successful people. We don't let life come at us. We grab life by the horns and we make things happen. We're not passive, we're active. We build the lives in which we live. We make things happen by the force of our will, by our intellects, and by our resources. Now, no doubt this approach to life can lead to a lot of successes. I'm sure each and every one of you could say, I am where I am because I did a lot of those things. I am successful because I worked hard and I took life by the horns. But there are inevitably moments in our lives when we will be brought face to face with the reality that we are indeed finite, that we're actually fallible, that we are incapable of molding our lives and the world around us to fit what we want to happen. In other words, there are moments in our lives when we will be able to be forced to realize the limits of our own control. When we're going to come face to face with this reality that there is a God and we are not that God. Do you remember how helpless we felt in March of 2020 when this pandemic began? Remember how helpless we felt? The uncertainty of COVID revealed how much we were trusting in things that can evaporate in a moment. All that we hold dear and seem so normal to us, it all changed seemingly overnight. It was a moment of truth for many of us. It revealed just how much sand lay beneath our feet. It was a humbling moment for us. But once we realized that our assets were secure... Most of us weren't really in harm's way. We could work from a distance that our kids weren't going to be impacted by this. When we saw that there was a vaccine on the way, did you notice just how quickly that feeling of helplessness went away? And how quickly we ran back to the security that we thought we had, all of the illusions that were based upon the security that we find in our circumstances. It was like for a moment the curtain had been pulled back and we saw just how much we rely on things other than God. And as quickly as the circumstances changed, we closed the curtain and we went right back to the illusion. Peter calls us to turn from this illusion of control. And he calls us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
calls us to build our lives upon a rock, not sand that can go away as circumstances change, but a rock which is immovable, his word and God himself. And he wants us to do so because he knows that testing will inevitably come. And he wants us in that moment not to be built upon sand, but to be firmly planted upon God and his word so that we might weather the storm of the challenges of this life. Number one, building our lives on secure foundation requires humility. It also requires that we entrust our exaltation to God. There are times when we refuse to humble ourselves, when we're just arrogant and we exalt ourselves thinking that we are amazing. There's just times, let's be honest. But I also think there are times where we exalt ourselves, not out of sheer arrogance, but out of fear. Here's what I mean. I think we believe that if we don't exalt ourselves, if we don't look out for number one, if we don't look out for our own security, our own prosperity, our own good in the world, that no one else will, that it's up to us, that if we don't do it, no one's going to do it for us. So we turn to ourselves, our success, our prosperity, our reputation, and our security, and we think that those things rest upon us. But Peter tells us the opposite. Peter tells us to humble ourselves, and by doing so, he wants us to entrust our exaltation to God. He wants us to entrust our exaltation to a God who is mighty and who will exalt us at the proper time and in the proper way. But yielding control in this way, it's difficult. It's difficult. It requires us to trust that God is good. Not just say it, but trust it. That he's good and that he also knows what's good for us. That if we need to be exalted, he will do so in the proper time and in the proper way. This type of trust, this yielding of control, it reveals the third thing we need to do to build our lives upon a secure foundation. And that is to cast our cares, our anxieties upon God. This is how this works. If we're going to humble ourselves, if we're going to entrust our security and our exaltation to someone else, which is hard for us to do because we're constantly trying to control our own lives, there will be moments that will inevitably come where we are anxious. Who's in control? Not me. I'm out of control. I don't like this feeling. You want me to entrust this to God when I don't know exactly what it's going to do? This is hard. And so we are captured by our own fears and anxieties. Therefore, what Peter says is cast your cares, your anxieties upon God. Have you ever been overwhelmed by circumstances and thought, you know what I should do right now? I should, I should stop and pray. I know I'm supposed to cast my cares upon God. But have you ever had that moment and then you immediately thought, what's that going to do? Here's what I need to do. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. I need to do that. If I'm going to get out of this situation, I need to make something happen to get out of this situation that I find myself in. But when we respond in this way, we hop right back on the, the hamster wheel of control. We're no longer submitting ourselves, humbling ourselves before God. We're no longer entrusting our exaltation to him. We're taking control back. And rather than dealing with anxiety by casting it on God, we take control of the situation again, thinking that somehow we can fix it. So we hop right back on the wheel of anxiety yet again. But what God calls us to do is to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our need, to entrust our glory to him, to cast all of our cares and anxieties upon him. And here's the kicker. Because he cares for us. He cares for us. 
throughout this book, we've been meditating on this tension that we are God's elect chosen people and also his, we're living in it as exiles. But what he's saying is here, he cares for us because we're his elect people. We're his chosen people. He loves us. He delights in us. He seeks after us to save us. He cares for us. He knows what's best for us. He's both mighty and good. We can entrust our exaltation to him. We can entrust our circumstances to him because he loves us, knows us, and will care for us through every circumstance of our lives. He cares for us. Are you willing to yield control of your life? Are you willing to do so? Are you willing to acknowledge that despite all of your gifts and abilities, all the resources at your disposal, that in fact, in reality, none of us are the master of our own destiny? As smart, as wealthy, as accomplished, as capable as many of us are, we are not God and we never will be. There is one mightier than us. There's one who loves us and cares for us. And we are called to humble ourselves before him and entrust our lives to him. Are you willing to entrust your glory, your exaltation, your security to him? Do you trust that he cares for you, that he loves you, and that at the proper time, and truly in the proper way, not how you would like, but in the best way, that he will exalt you. Friends, there's freedom in this kind of humility. There's grace for those who embrace it. The verse right before our passage reminds us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Coming to terms with our own weakness, yes, it can be a fearful moment, but it's actually the moment of freedom. Because it's in that moment that we can acknowledge that indeed we are not God, that we are not the master of all that we survey, that we are dependent creatures who are called to freely entrust our lives to God who is both mighty and who cares for us. It's here in this moment of humility that we will have a secure foundation upon which to stand. So now that we have this secure foundation, we are now in a position to stand firmly upon that foundation. Point number two, stand firm. Look with me at verses eight and nine. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. These verses are a stark reminder that if we are to stand firm on the foundation of God's word... That we must do so in the face of an enemy that hates us and wants to destroy us. The picture of the Christian life that Peter paints for us in these verses, it is not a happy, happy, joy, joy, kumbaya, my Lord kind of Christianity. How many of you thought when you became a Christian, this is going to solve all my problems. I'm going to be happy now. God's going to take care of me and give me everything that I need and everything I want. And this life is just going to be one unending stream of joy. Some of us probably thought that. That's not what Peter says in this book, and it's not reality. The reality is, is that we're going to have wage war in our own souls with sin 
that wants to destroy us, that we're going to be living in a world as exiles, a world that stands in opposition to us. And in this passage, he says we actually face a spiritual enemy that wants to, like a lion, devour us. That's not happy, happy, joy, joy. That's not kumbaya. In our modern world, we tend to shy away from the realities we can't see. And so as soon as there's a devil out there, we get a little Presbyterian. The charismatics, they have the snakes and the devil and all that stuff. But we, we trust in God. We've got this covered. But the reality is that Jesus faced demons. The apostles faced demons. We don't see the same manifestations that they did. But we do have a spiritual enemy that is real, that exists that hates us, that is opposed to us, and like a lion wants to devour us. One of my favorite activities when I go home to Indiana is, to see my parents is to ride Harley-Davidson motorcycles with my dad. This summer, my dad offered to lend me his backup motorcycle so that I could ride it around the North Shore, bring a little Muncie up here to the North Shore. <laughs> Muncie ain't the North Shore, friends. It's a different place. So in preparation for riding this motorcycle, I had to renew my Illinois license, and it required me to study for this exam. Now, most of us have taken driver's ed, and we learned about this concept of defensive driving. Well, when you're on a motorcycle, the concept of defensive driving gets heightened. In order to ride a motorcycle safely, you have to constantly be aware of your surroundings and recognize that people don't see you or won't see you. Therefore, you need to always be ready to take evasive action. And the manual I used to study for this written exam used this acronym, SIPDE, S-I-P-D-E. It says you need to S, scan your environment. I, you need to identify all the potential hazards that are there. And then you need to P, predict what might happen. D, you need to decide if that happens, what you're going to do. And E, you need to then, if it doesn't indeed happen, execute your plan. You have to be prepared in every situation. Someone riding a motorcycle must be aware of their environment and be prepared to avoid the accident. And Peter in this passage is encouraging us to assume the same similar spiritual posture. Riding a motorcycle has inherent risks. The risks go up exponentially if you do not, if you underestimate those risks. In a similar way, living the Christian life comes with risks and challenges. We battle our own sin. We face opposition in the world. And we have a spiritual enemy who seeks to destroy us. And these challenges, they grow exponentially if we ignore them or downplay them or underestimate the fact that we have sin that's against us and a mortal enemy that wants to destroy us. Peter teaches us, therefore, that we need to be sober-minded and watchful. We have an enemy seeking to kill us. It's the equivalent of me riding my motorcycle and not just being watchful of other people, but there's actually a vigilante person out there who's seeking to find me and drive me off the road. It's an active enemy that wants to destroy us. We must be sober-minded and watchful so that we can resist the temptations of the devil which wage war against our souls. Being firm in our faith, it's what allows us to do so. So firm in our faith, we know who we are. We know that we're God's chosen people, that we are loved and beloved by God, that we've been set apart to live lives of holiness. Firm in our faith, we know that the the sufferings of this life, they're fleeting, and that they're in no comparison to the riches of the inheritance that await us. Firm in our faith, we know that embracing sin leads to misery and death, but embracing Christ leads to life 
and joy. And our enemy, the devil, he will endlessly and subtly seek to undermine our identity, who we are, and he will make promises that the world can never deliver upon. But when we root ourselves in God's word and we soberly acknowledge that we have an enemy who wants to devour us, it will prepare us to resist the temptations that will inevitably come our way. And it will prepare us to stand firm in the face of opposition. Peter also points to the community of faith as a means of helping us to stand firm. That the church, what we're doing right now, is actually preparing us to stand firm in the world. Verse 9 says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, we're not alone. Many have preceded us. Even now, many are suffering for the sake of Christ around the world. There's no suffering that's befallen us that hasn't already befallen Christ and befallen Christians throughout history and befallen Christians throughout the world. Now, right now, we are not suffering pointed persecution as Christians where we live. But we would be naive to ignore that the winds are blowing in that direction. And the reality is, is that you don't prepare for suffering in the opposition of the world in the moment of suffering and in the moment of opposition. You prepare now so that when that moment comes, you have a firm foundation on, under your feet upon which to stand. So the question is, are you sober-minded in how you're living your life? Are you watchful? Are you rightly estimating the power of sin and the power of an enemy that knows you, is seeking you, and wants to devour your soul? Are you positioned to resist the devil? Are you firm in your faith? Do you know the truth of God's word in such a way that when sin and temptation and opposition come your way, that you have a foundation upon which to stand and to resist? The time to prepare ourselves is now, because in, inevitably opposition will come. And in that moment, we need the firm foundation of God and his word under our feet. As sober and as watchful as we must be in order to stand firm in the faith, I want you to hear this. Hear this we must never be afraid. We have an enemy. He wants to devour us. But the reality is that enemy is defeated already. We must respect him, but we must never fear him. And Peter tells us why in verses 10 through 14, which is point number three. Raise your gaze. Raise your gaze. Look with me, verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, I love how Peter says a little while. What he means here is our whole life. <laughs> after you suffered a little while. <laughs> thanks, Peter. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yes, there will be suffering in this life. Yes, we will fight sin and we will resist the devil. And sometimes we're going to win that battle and sometimes we are going to lose that battle. But in the end, we will triumph in Christ. As Jesus said in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation promises it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. One day the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. God himself will restore us. 
One day God will make complete all that has been lost. He will make us whole. Sin and suffering, they rob something from us. They take something from us. They, they make us less than what God created us to be. And we bear the scars of that as Christians walking through this world. But there will come a day when Christ will make us whole, when he will restore all that has been lost, when the scars of sin will be erased from us, and we will no longer sin and have any more scars in our life. God himself will also confirm us, and this is an internal confirmation. So often in this life we doubt, we search, we we waver. And in this life, we battle to stand firm. There's this constant tension between what we know to be right and our desires. And we're constantly trying to get our desires and how we act to line up, our desires and our will to line up. There will come a moment, though, when those two will be perfectly aligned, when the truth of God's word will be confirmed in, in our hearts, such that we will live a life where we constantly obey God because it's actually what we want to do not because we've made our will conform to what Christ calls us to do. What a nice moment that will be. God himself will also strengthen us. So often we feel overwhelmed, we feel weak, we feel inadequate. There will come a day when, empowered by God's Spirit, we will have the strength of God dwelling within us in such a way that we will perfectly obey God through the power of his Spirit. God himself will establish us. So often we doubt God's love. What this means is that we're going to be established in that love. And when we doubt that love, we, we turn to the world for the affection and the affirmation that God wants us to derive from him, but we derive from other things. One day we will know God's love in its fullness. And rooted in this love, established in this love, we will finally rest secure. Picture this, secure in God's love. We'll cease from striving. We'll cease from anxiety. We'll cease from this constant need to exalt ourselves because we don't know how else to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Finally, we will be secure in God's love and we will rest in the love that God has made us to enjoy. But in the meantime, we fight to stand firm upon the foundation of God and his word. In the meantime, we live as elect exiles, living in, the, living in the midst of a fallen world while raising our gaze to the promises of the life to come. For now we live in the tension between our daily lives and our citizenship in heaven. Martin Luther, where we began, he knew this tension well. Martin Luther was a man who knew what it was like to have all that he trusted stripped away. His reputation his position at, as a professor, his position in the church, the trust that he had in humans and human institutions. He knew what it was like to have enemies, both human and supernatural. He also knew what it was like to stand firm, to respect his enemy, but never fear his enemy, because he knew his inheritance had been secured for him by Christ and that no enemy could ever take it from him. And we hear this tension and hope in the words of the hymn that we are about to sing. If you want to, you can read along with me in the bulletin. And Luther himself wrote this hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Look at these words with me. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, the devil, 
doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So along with Martin Luther, with all the saints throughout history, with all the saints throughout the world, we are called as God's elect exiles to hold fast to the hope that is seen in this hymn and to stand firm in our faith. I'm going to end this message in our series with these closing words of application from Peter himself, who speaks these words to us. He says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, the church in Rome, who is likewise chosen, elect, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the glorious good news that even if we were to lose all in this life, that we already have everything and then some in Christ. Father, may the hope of the life to come give us both the foundation upon which to stand and the courage to stand in the face of opposition. Father, help us to be sober and to be watchful to be mindful of the enemy within our sin and the enemy without the devil, which are to be respected but never feared. Father, may we live as your people, standing firmly today, living in the good of the hope which is yet to come, the hope of eternity with you. In Christ's name, amen.